What's up, friend? How are you doing? Welcome to Plus Ultra. This podcast is for online entrepreneurs who have already launched their first offer and have already made their first sale. You're going to learn the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps that business owners took so that you can truly earn your freedom and design a life you don't need an escape from. We release weekly episodes on Wednesdays. Some are in interview format, others are in monologue format. I'm your host, Mateo Carrasco, but my friends call me Mateo for short. <laughs> no, but seriously. I was a management consultant straight out of college here in Washington, D.C., and then I worked remotely in 2020 from Denver, Colorado, and all of 2021 from Oahu, Hawaii. I lived in Kailua. From there, life got really interesting. My fiance and I, we decided to call it off. I started my own business, Veloxis, where I help business owners with their systems, their automations, integrations, and I help from prospecting to fulfillment. This podcast, Plus Ultra, is going to help you with the major roadblocks that will appear on your entrepreneurial journey. And more importantly, the people I will interview are other online business owners who have really amazing offers, life advice, and business stories. And with that, let's dive right into the episode. Welcome to Plus Ultra. All right, so we got Ethan Nivyadomsky from uh, Sales Samurai. How you doing, bro? Living the dream, brother. How are you? Doing well, man. Doing well. It's uh, good to finally talk to you. I know we played chess online a bit and uh, seen each other on tribe calls maybe, but I've been following you and I've noticed you've been posting about exactly what it is you do as a sales coach and you're just delivering all these gold nuggets back to back to back. What's the reasoning behind your content? Yeah, I've been doing coaching now. I feel like I've been doing coaching for a while now. You know, most of the time it was just, you know, my role, you know, I was a sales leader and so leading teams and helping people get a little better you kind of fall into that role as a coach and then eventually joining tribe, you know, obviously we have a lot of entrepreneur friends. And so, you know, being in the group, I was kind of just helping people kind of for free, but you know, recently I decided to turn this into a full-time business and um, yeah, I got a business coach and pretty much she just told me like, you know, you know, I feel like a lot of us coaches, right? Like we, we tell you things that you already know, but sometimes you just need someone to tell you again. And uh, yeah, she was just like, yeah, dude, like if you want to build your business and build your brand, you need to post consistent every single day. Yeah, I think the big thing for me was she told me if I was spending more than 25 minutes trying to make short form, then I'm really just overthinking it. And um, yeah. yeah, so I've just been keeping it simple, pretty much just putting out as much content as I can. Yeah, and one of the nuggets you said in one of those videos ties back exactly to what you just said is the whole authenticity thing, where you said authenticity breeds confidence and confidence sells, right? And I really like that because that format where you're doing the FaceTiming a friend type format, people connect with that immediately because they're looking back at you at a phone. So they feel like you're actually talking to them and you're more like documenting the journey than it is like curating it. And if, yeah, dude, it connects really well. And at the end of the day, what matters is what you're saying, the value you're saying and the value of what you're saying is so valuable. You don't have to be in a nice studio to say it. (laughs) So it's, yeah, it connects much faster. Yeah. I think, you know, that's funny you bring that up. I think that was the other thing that was kind of like, I was limiting myself with was thinking like, Oh, I don't have X or Y. Um, but the problem with that mindset is that like, you know, eventually once I do have all these, like, you know, the studio, the nice advanced production team, yeah. people, you know, a bunch of short form guys making a ton of really well edited content for me. Like it'd be a shame to not be able to go back and look at all the older content where, yeah, yeah it's like spending 25 minutes, literally creating a short form video. And, uh, you know, I think like that progression is really important, especially for my followers, you know, for like people to see me go from just doing these videos until, yeah, eventually and making some really high quality stuff. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, you want to connect with prospects and they want to see some relayability. But uh, 
Did, could you give us some backstory? I know you just give, gave us a glimpse of where you want to take your content and getting a team and such, but how'd you get to sales in the first place? Yeah, great question, bro. Um, so, so random, you know, so I, um, <laughs> so I skipped a grade when I was really young and then I went to college and I was going to business school, Indiana University, college school business. And, um, yeah, you know, it was, it was, um, it was different for me. You know, I think college was the moment where I learned or rather where I decided I wanted to like deep dive into like the reasonings behind what I'm doing. You know, like I didn't, I think college made me realize it because it's just so expensive. You know, like I'm there signing big loans and I'm like, what am I doing? What am I learning? I don't really know if I even want to do this. And so, uh, you know, I decided to take a gap year after my sophomore year, had a great time, like up to that point, don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I decided to take a gap year just to try and figure it out. You know, I figured since I skipped the grade earlier, I had like a year to catch up pretty much. And, uh, yeah, so I took a year off and, you know, leading into that summer, I had some friends from a neighboring school tell me that they had a fraternity brother come by and pitch them on the idea of doing door-to-door -door pest control. It sounded interesting solely because there was potential to make hundred K mm -hmm. and, uh, I was like, you know, just like anyone else, I saw hundred K and I was like, let me, let me give it a shot. You know, why not? But man, dude, it was so tough. I sucked. You know, my first summer I was terrible. I probably they made like $6,000 or something like that you know, a very negligible amount of money. And it, it was definitely a struggle for a number of reasons. But regardless, you know, there's, there's two summers in between going back to school, right? Mm -hmm. So on the second summer, you know, I, I wanted to really focus. I told myself, hey, if I can make more than 50K, then I'll stick with sales. Because, you know, 50K, I'm 19 years old, like that, you know, that's a good deal. And yeah, uh, yeah stuck with it, destroyed my goal, almost tripled my goal, actually. Um, but made really good money. And then, um, uh, from there, yeah, it's just been, it's been history. You know, uh, I think the main reason I had a lot of success was because I actually went out and, and reached out to a bunch of different mentors. You know, I had 12 different guys I was training with and, uh, people have different styles. You know, that's the main thing I learned and that's to build on that point you just said, right? Like authenticity breeds confidence and confidence yeah. sells. My first year I was learning under someone who was not necessarily my style, very serious, stern kind of guy. And he crushed it. Like, frankly, you know, he did really, really, really well. So of course I was just going to listen to him, but you know, it just, it wasn't me. You know, I'm a goofy dude. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not anywhere near as serious or jacked or like, you know, commanding as he is. And so, yeah, I had to find a style that worked. And so just working with a bunch of different guys that were more similar to me allowed for me to kind of pull bits and pieces from them. And uh, yeah, without that, honestly, I probably would have left sales. You know, I think most people leave sales. It, it sucks. It's hard. And if you can't find your little, you know, your little window of, of opportunity, Man, it's like, it's really easy just to kiss it goodbye. That's really well said. I would love to hear your thoughts on the myth that only extroverts can be really good salesmen because you're saying that it depends on your personality style. And if you're authentic to your personality style, you can really sell because you're fully confident. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm as extroverted as it gets, you know, Jordan Peterson has a uh, personality test. You know, I took it, I think I was like 98th or 99th percentile for extroversion. I'm, I'm very extroverted. And nice. I got shit on, you know, my first year I was, there was like 9,000 reps in our company. I was like 8,500, you know, so I was one of the worst. So that right there is, you know, my first bit of evidence that being extroverted does not translate to being good at sales. Um, second bit of evidence is that I got destroyed by another kid on our team named Reese, really good friend of mine, but Reese is extremely introverted, very shy guy. And yeah, he probably made like 30K or something that first summer. So he did five times as good as me. You know, he's, I think he was probably a top 1,000 rep. Nothing like crazy, but definitely a very solid rep. And um, yeah, he's still doing sales and he's killing it. Very introverted guy. And I think, like you said, what's more important is that you understand yourself 
and how you can translate that into sales. So like there's different kinds of techniques you can use when it comes time for closing. You know, if you're um, someone like me, trying to be very assumptive and bold doesn't really work in a close because it's not me. Mm-hmm. Being very collaborative and giving option closes works really well for me because that's my style, right? So just finding like what, again, finding that little, you know, pocket that works for you is, is extremely important. And that's how you see success truthfully. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's great. Everybody at the end of the day wants to feel heard, right? And if they can see or sense the, the phoniness in your voice, then you won't really get it close. Everybody loses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. It's, it's intangibles, right? It's like things that you can't really like put a finger on why I don't trust this guy yeah. or, or why, you know, this doesn't seem right, but you know, I just got a feeling in my gut and therefore, yeah, I'm not buying it. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's, it's these little things you can't really notice until it, until you lose the sale over it, you know? Yeah. And door to door sales. I liked what you talked about just the sheer volume of opportunities you get with door to sales. Are you still doing door to sales or have you transitioned over to the high ticket? Yeah. So I, so a little bit about my, my past. So I did pest control for two years and I did solar Um, loved it again, had really good opportunities, but moved on from there into high ticket. Um, more, I think just as like, um, I guess I was just unfamiliar with the industry and, uh, I saw a lot of opportunities, decided why not give it a shot, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think I, you know, ever since been, I've been doing this, now I've been exposed to, you know, groups like Tribe, you know, literature, like four hour work week and all these other books that have kind of really shifted my perspective on like what's possible. And, um, yeah, so now I don't think I'd go back and do door to door, but I, just because, you know, I think it's very limiting location wise and time wise, you know, you right. have to give all your energy to the doors, you know, for three, four months, um, if you want to see success. So, um, you know, I think I'm at the point now where my skill level is high enough where I don't necessarily have to commit to that if I don't want to, you know, I can find different opportunities. Um, but yeah, I know now I just do full-time coaching. So I was working at tribe. I was head of sales at tribe for like six or seven months. And then, um, yeah, I stepped down just, you know, me and Arlen still good friends, but we just reached a point where my business was starting to really consume a lot of my time. And Tribe was also still demanding a lot of my time. And so, you know, I, I uh, had an open, honest conversation with Arlen. You know, I really value open openness and transparency. And so, um, you know, I wanted to have an open conversation with him. And, you know, we talked about a few different options, decided maybe the best thing is just to focus full-time on the business. And so, yeah, and a full-time, full-time sales samurai. Yeah, that's fantastic. Nice. And yeah, it's good to be honest and open. What My first idea when I was young about what business was, was cutting corners, trying to they get the best of someone else. But then you realize that business is a spiritual game. And if you're a giver and you actually look out to collaborate in this instance, you're working with Arlen saying, Hey, I gave everything I could in this instance. Now life is full of changes and the changes look like this right now. Let's find a way where we both win. And then both your businesses keep booming. Like that is what real lasting businesses is, dude. And it took me until I stepped into the business world to really see that in action. Yeah, no, I think you hit it spot on, right? It's it's a, it's the whole energy game too. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, that's something I think Arlen is just really good at is understanding like when energy is, is there and when it's not, you know, yeah. and um, yeah. And that's something, you know, I think we both came to terms with. Awesome. Well, tell me about your offer then sales samurai. I know you have three tiers and it's coaching. Do you coach a certain type of business or yeah. is this for sales teams? What does it look like? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. You know, it's so sales samurai, you know, I really nailed down the offer about two months ago now. Um, you know, I think at first I was kind of in between, um, whether I wanted to help newer guys or guys that were more experienced. And so, um, yeah, I guess I want to start by just highlighting the differences between sales training and sales coaching. 
you know, training is generally going to be helping people learn new skills, new strategies, new techniques. And so generally when you're doing sales training, you're going to be helping guys that are younger in their sales career. Occasionally, maybe you'll meet guys that are experienced, but generally it's going to be younger guys. Sales coaching is helping guys who already know what they're doing and you're just helping them continue down that path. So I decided I want to do sales coaching because, you know, Hormozzi always says like, you know, who's, and by the way, I love Hormozzi. Hormozzi yeah. kind of, he's, how can you not, right? Um, but Hormozzi always says like, your best customer is the customer who can pay the most, right? And, and I totally agree. After reading $100 million offer, it's like, I want to charge higher prices because it means I can get better service, better delivery. And it means that my customers are going to see better results. Um, and who can pay higher prices? It's guys who are already doing well in sales, right? Not guys who are newer to sales. So I steered away from sales training and transitioned just to sales coaching. Um, with that, I have three different packages. I have my Ronin package, which is essentially like a one-time. You know, you just do a quick call with me. I mean, the first call is always free, right? Just to see if I can even help. You know, I do a free coaching call for anybody. Um, but the second call, yeah, if you want to just do another one-time, like you don't think we necessarily need to do a call every week, you can just get a ton of value from one more. Yeah, I do, I do my Ronin package. Then I have my Samurai package, and that's going to be month to month. This is where people, now I'll do one call with you every week. Generally, it's a lot of, my main thing is doing game tape reviews, right? I love looking over your sales calls and actually seeing where where you did well and mainly where you did bad and how we can improve upon that and going week to week and seeing the progress. Um, but, you know, we'll do like roadmap reconstruction, right? So like taking your whole sales framework and, and reworking it in a way that's, you know, most advantageous for you. You know, we'll do, we'll do brainstorm sessions where we're trying to, you know, come up with unique icebreakers, unique ways to overcome different objections that they come, that they encounter. You know, we'll do role plays so I can really focus on their tonality, et cetera. You know, in addition to that, we'll be doing a, or you get on-demand coaching, which that, what that means is like, you can text me whenever you want, give me a quick call if you need to right before a sales call, um, which, you know, I think is probably the most beneficial part right? when you're on a sales call, you text me real quick, hey, just got this objection. You're stalling with the customer for a minute or two. I can give you a quick answer and then you can, you know, use that in your approach. Um, but yeah, and then my, the Shokin package is like my high ticket and that's just for people who are like sales team managers and are just looking for help, right? Like a lot of times these sales team managers, you know, myself included when I was doing it, like we make a lot of money off our team. Um, but you know, the better our team does, the better we make or the more money we make. Right. right. And sometimes like that can be really draining, you know, like training a whole team and trying to focus on yourself and help yourself improve. Like that's, that's two jobs, you know, and having two jobs sucks. So yeah. I come in, I take over the one job, you get to focus on yourself and I, I'm still going to make sure that your team does really well and you still make a bunch more money. So um, yeah, those are my three packages. And I generally try to work with, yeah, guys who are just more experienced simply because, you know, I just don't think it's fair to necessarily charge guys who are newer to sales and like, let's face it, probably won't stick in sales. And I think most new sales guys end up leaving at some point anyway. So yeah, that's what all my content's for though. Right. It's like, I want to create enough content where you can get to the point where then you're an experienced sales rep. And then maybe you can work with me at some point in the future. Oh, dude, that's very well structured. Yeah. And I totally agree with Hormozzi. Hormozzi's the man. And I've read hundred million dollar offers too. Yeah. The people who pay the most pay the most attention. They're most invested and they're the better clients at the end of the day too. Dude, that's really interesting. That's really good because, okay, I, I see it now. And you know what? I actually wanted to get into some of these common objections, uh, if you don't mind. Um, but I liked one of the things you said about the objection as a whole, that an objection is just a buying question. So they just highlighted for you. They did the heavy lifting for you. They're like, this is the one thing that if you address, I'm, I'm okay with it. So yeah. 
Um, do you want to get over one some common objections like the the one I used to as because I do high ticket sales too price that's like the most common one like the price objection. Sure. What, what, how do you get around the price objection? Price objections like such an annoying objection because generally if you got the price objection you probably did a few things earlier that kind of didn't set yourself up properly. Same thing with like um with stalling right like if you didn't establish urgency early on it's really mm-hmm. hard to solve it later. The good news is that on your next approach or your next call, for sure we can we can address this. Um, so a couple of things. One, price is actually a value objection, right? Like people only give you a price objection because they don't think the value makes sense. Okay, mm-hmm. now I'll prove it to you. Um, you know, with an example, you know, if I was going to sell you a Ferrari brand new that's worth two hundred thousand dollars, I was going to sell you it for two thousand dollars, and you had five, let's say fifty dollars in your bank account. I promise you, like you'd figure out a way to get another nineteen fifty in your account. Like even if you didn't have the money. You'd still want to do the deal. You, and you call up your grandma, you know, you call up your family in Bolivia and Spain, you figure it out, right? Like money would land so that you can get it because you know the value is so, so, so much more than what you'd be paying in the first place. Um, you know, the downside to, or, you know, the cash 22 to this is that your offer likely isn't a Ferrari, <laughs> you know, for the price of 2K. So it's not as always like black and white, you know, like you look at something like that and it has a price tag attached to it. So if the price I'm paying is less than that considerably, then it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I'm going to call my family in Spain and try and get some money together. Right. You know, um, but the way that we do this with your individual offer is we attack the pain point. I call it the hot button. There's different names for it. But, um, you know, essentially the pain point, the hot button, is the reason that people are on the call with you today. So, for example, for Tribe, right, a group that we're both part of, a common hot button would have been um, people are around people they don't necessarily want to be around anymore, right? Like their friends are just not the same culture that they have. And so they want to be around people who share those same interests. And so like that could be a big pain point. So the way that I build value around it is that when it comes time to pitch price, they won't think it's a bad deal is I pitch on all the benefits of having that. Right? so I'm really making, making this, making their pain point hurt, right? I'm showing them, Hey, like if we had better friends, these are the three benefits, top three benefits that we would get from it. Therefore hammering the point home. And then eventually, yeah, when you get down to present price, usually, you know, if you built a value around whatever they were hurting, it should make sense. Um, second thing with this, with price objection is a lot of times people just present it poorly. Like presentation has everything to do with it. Yeah. You know, body language is really like nonverbals or like your tonality. So, mm-hmm. you know, think about it when you pitch price, you know, a lot of times people will stumble around whatever the actual price tag is. You know, they'll deliver things monotone and then they'll drop the actual price and they'll end with an inflection and uptone. Not good. Right, you want to really maximize the, you know, what could have been, how expensive this could be. You know, normally for something like this, we charge ten thousand dollars, and that's, you know, that's just because we do all of this work, and it's really hard, and it's a ton of sacrifice for us. You know, so normally it'd be ten thousand dollars. Yeah, like we're only taking a couple more people, and for these last couple, we're doing everything just two thousand. Right, so with the downtown, it's really, it's almost like you're saying, hey man, like normally it'd be really expensive, now it's nothing. Right, so in presentation itself is is really important, and I think specifically when I was doing solar, that mattered a lot. Right, like presenting because solar is a huge loan. You know, it's and it's you know I'd say like probably eighty thousand dollar loan on average, but you know you can sell loans hundred thirty, hundred forty thousand dollars, and uh, man, like that's to get any homeowner to commit to putting you know a car on their roof essentially is um you know it's it's, it's not always the simplest thing, and so you really need to downplay it. Right, you really need to downplay it when you uh, when you pitch price. And so, yeah, I'd say like those two tips, man. 
like build the value by hammering home what matters to them, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you got on a call with me for Tribe because your social network is struggling, then that's all I'm going to talk about, right? I'm not going to talk about the live calls where we can help you improve your social skills. That's not what I'm going to be focusing on. I'm going to be focusing on the networking aspect. Okay, so hammer home that and then present it properly, right? Maximize all the things that are, you know, all the expensive parts, you know, what maybe could have been with a, you know, if you call in, normally it'd be this expensive. If you go to the yeah. website, it'd be this price. But since you're on call with me, it's just this. You minimize the real cost. Make it seem like a no-brainer. Yeah, make it seem like a deal, which it really is. Yeah, man, that, I like that a lot. Really giving them the value. And I like how you differentiate value from price, where it, the value of the product, it's not like you're inflating it. It really is much more valuable than the price. Like oh, yeah. They are getting a deal. You just want to communicate it with your language, your tone. Yeah, that's good. And how do you how do you get around the stalling where they're like, uh, oh, give me a minute, give me a give me the week. <laughs> I need some yeah, time. This one, dude, stalling is like you're never gonna get sales if you can't like master the stalling objection. You know, you know this, like you're in sales, right? Like yeah. everyone, you always get stalling. Um, yeah, so I'd say like the number one thing to understand with stalling is that like usually they don't actually want more time. They just like feel a little pressured, they feel a little rushed. Yeah. Um, and so like the reason that like take it a step further, why why are they feeling rushed? Why are they feeling pressured? It's because like they're not all the way sold. And a lot of times there's, you know, it could be anything that they're hung up on. So the main thing is like, I need to find out what the, the reason is, right? Mm-hmm. I found in a lot of the sales, it's generally a lack of company trust. Usually they trust me. Usually they trust my product, but for this price tag, like they've never heard of this company. I don't know if I want to throw $5,000 at this company. Like, what is this, right? What am I really getting myself into? And so um, a lot of times that's what I find it is. Regardless, it could be anything. And so the point is like, I need to find whatever it is. Hormozzi's tactic, you know, where he'll say, uh, you know, yeah, I understand you want to take a little bit more time. You know, in reality, we don't actually need more time to come to the correct decisions. We need more information. I'm your best source of information for everything related to X, Y, Z. That being said, you know, what is your main concern? I think that works really well if you have an irresistible offer like he has, you know, like if you have an offer that literally makes perfect sense, right? Hey, I'll make you, I'll make you 10 K. And if I don't, you don't pay me. Okay. Right. Then like when they stall, it's like, well, why wouldn't you do this? Right. Like tell me your concerns. That's valid, I think. But for most offers, they're not irresistible. And it's not always as clear as day that they should do it. So I think that method doesn't necessarily work all the time. Instead, what I'll do is I'll do the opposite. Actually, you know, their walls are up when they tell me they want to wait. So I let them wait. I tell them, perfect. Dude, let's schedule a call for tomorrow. Like, I don't want you to feel like you're rushing in any sort of decision with me. I'm going to build a little bit more trust with him. I'm going to schedule a call. Usually it takes me about 60 seconds, maybe two minutes to book another call. Um, but by the time we get the call booked, awesome deal. Like we'll be talking tomorrow. And hey, real quick, just before we head out of here, what was it? What was the thing that was like really holding you back from, you know, pulling the trigger today? And now that all the tension is moved from today to tomorrow for the call, generally they'll give you an answer. And so you'll get a really good opportunity to solve it. Sometimes they don't know. And that's okay. But I'd say that's probably two to three times out of 10. Like they won't, they won't know. They'll be like, yeah, I guess I just wanted to think about it. Right. Which means they genuinely do not know what it is holding them up. But most of the time, right. Seven, eight times out of 10, they know. Oh yeah, man. Like I just, I lost a lot of money betting on the Celtics and like my girlfriend's going to whoop my ass. So I seem to make sure I talk to her before I do anything like this. And it's like, perfect. I know how to overcome the girlfriend objection. Right. I can get it done. Or they'll say, yeah, man, like, I just got a lot of bills coming up this next couple of weeks. Like, you know, I just want to make sure I can like afford this and, you know, see if this is the smartest thing to do right now or if I should just wait another month. And then it's like, perfect. Well, I know how to overcome that, right? Like I can, I have options. We can get flexible pricing. But uh, the point is, is that usually, you know, when I have them book a call for tomorrow or the next day, 
I'm transferring the tension. And so now today is wide open again, which is perfect. Cause that means like when it's time to actually, you know, when they give me the objection, I can usually overcome it and, and close it and then cancel tomorrow's call because we don't need to get on a call anymore. Right. We solved the real objection. Boom. Boom. There it is. I love that. Nice. And and speaking of transferring tension, because I'm new to the whole sales space, I'm just about over a year now doing this. And I started off as an appointment setter and just doing appointment setting. I actually set it for uh, Chet Hanks, Tom Hanks son. Oh, fire. Really, yes. He's really awesome. And I felt it naturally because I was so new. I didn't understand the whole transferring from setting and setting it up for a closer. So I was closing people like just myself. I would set and close, set and close. And it wasn't until my next call with Chet and he's like, oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. Cool. We usually like send that up to someone else. I was like, what do you mean? And then I read, I'm, I am reading dot-com secrets and there's that whole idea. Also the structure of having your setters set it up for your closers. And one of the main jobs of the setter is to identify what you're saying, the pain points, the hot buttons, the emotional triggers, so that when it does get to the closer, A, it feels more authentic. There's more authority. There's a there's a sales team. There's a salesperson behind it. But B, that salesperson knows the story, the emotional story now. But I just want to see your um, get your thoughts on that whole process. Do you think that's still an effective method? Yeah, I think it just depends on whatever your sale is. Um, I think sometimes people lean too much into having setting and closing. I, I call it a two-touch method, right? Like a where you have two different people touching the clients. Um, yeah, I mean, like two-touch, I think it it's great if you have like a higher ticket offer or an offer that requires like deep qualification. But if you have something like like pest control, home security, like roofing, you don't need setters, right? Like it, it's really easy just to do it yourself. So I think... To each their own. I think, you know, like I said, some offers, it truly does make a lot of sense, you know? Like Tribe. Tribe makes a lot of sense, right? Like not everyone, even if you can afford Tribe, not everyone's allowed in Tribe, right? So it's it's when we need that extra layer of qualification, it makes sense. Solar, it makes sense because even if you can afford the loan or, you know, you can get approved for the loan, like maybe your roof sucks. Maybe your roof isn't facing a good direction, you know, whatever the case might be. Uh, maybe your roof isn't big enough for how much electricity you're using. Like we need someone to qualify that. That way when the closure is coming in, they're not wasting their energy. You know, sales is an energy game. Yeah. It's, you know, you can't do 50 sales calls in a day. Like it's just not, you're going to, you're going to tank. Like you're not going to do as well as you would if you spread those calls out over the week. So, uh, you know, it's really important that as a closer, someone who's trying to, you know, close a lot of deals, you're using your energy most effectively. And uh, I think that's what a, a where a setter really helps. They can already, they can skim through the bullshit, you know, skim right through the weeds and find you know, little, little guy, you know, the nuggets here and there that are really valuable and send those off to the closer. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think it's very effective. It just depends again on your offer. Like what is your offer exactly? Is it something that needs this high level of qualification or is it something that, yeah, like if you can afford it, we can buy it. Awesome. Yeah. So more specific, I wonder if there's something a bit more universal that you have found that is more adopted throughout the whole sales cycle, maybe a software. Do you, do you prefer one to the rest? I, I use close IO a lot. Um, I like close, but uh, yeah, I was just wondering what, what you found is very flexible for most industries. For CRM. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Close is great. Go high level is great. I'd probably say like either one of those. Yeah, they're all okay. They're pretty much the same. Yeah, to be honest with you, like I'm, I'm so terrible at using CRM. So like people, <laughs> you know, and it's so funny because like working with Tribe, that was one thing I, I really improved on. Was like you know getting the hang of using CRMs. But 
it's, you know, CRMs, that's like the part of sales I don't like because it's so, uh, it feels like desky, you know, like, mm. <laughs> like it feels like I'm like sitting down like a, like a wagey. Um, but, but I mean, like at the end of the day, it is important, you know, and like, you know, I'll, I'll tell people this too, like, you know, Hey, like, while I may not be perfect, don't use me as an example. Like you definitely should use your CRM tool because it helps a lot. You know, it helps you automate the process, makes you optimize everything a lot better. I mean, it's, there's countless benefits to using a CRM tool, but yeah, to be transparent, I'm so bad at it, man. Arlen used to get on my ass all the time about being terrible at using the CRM. <laughs> nice. I'm curious what CRM does Tribe use? Close. Close? Nice. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, you know HubSpot, the guy yeah. who um, ran the whole sales team, uh, he wrote the sales acceleration formula. Yeah. Um, that's a solid book. Yeah. At first, he's kind of saying that like you don't want your sales guys to take on a second job which is basically what you're saying like sitting on the computer and kind of be an admin you want them to do sales but yeah a lot of these crms have gotten very like low code or no code at all you just it does a lot of ai it moves it around for you through engagement through frequency everything it just puts the prospect you need to talk to right there but uh, i was wondering for entrepreneurs and our listeners here a lot of them because they can engage with my stories and such, I know that they're very interested in chess. And I know you're very interested in chess too. And I was wondering if you see any overlap between chess strategy and sales strategy. Yeah, dude, chess, chess, sales, life, battle, war, relationship, all of it. I feel like, you know, it, it all plays plays a part in each other. Um, it's goofy because, you know, I say that and like people are like, what the hell you mean, bro? But um, yeah, I mean, like you play chess, right? And so, you know, like there's there's certain moments where I'm like, Oh, like, you know, I, I tried this, I tried, you know, attacking with this same tempo in every game. And I realized, okay, maybe I need to like actually slow it down and, and maybe take a couple steps back with my knight and move my bishop back here and provoke this and come back. And, like these little things where I'm drawing parallels between like what I would do in a relationship, what I do in a sales call, what I do in real life, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's funny how all this aligns so much. You know, who invented chess, right? It's like, imagine inventing chess one of the greatest games of all time, like uh, whoever did it, you know, it's on, it's so much deeper than just a board game. You know, it's, there's so much strategy to it. And so, yeah, chess is just one of those things, man. I mean, I think truly, if you want to like try and expand your knowledge, definitely like get involved in chess. Like chess is the easiest way for you to try and like expand upon your own awareness, you know, just realizing like what's possible. Oh yeah, dude. It's, I always call it the best game in the world. (laughs) Oh, it is. It's by far, dude. It's timeless. I uh, I was at my buddy's house in North Carolina a few months ago, and I brought over my board. It's magnetic and it's really small, so it's very easy to take it with me to the beach anywhere. And dude, we played over a hundred games in two days, like playing. And dude, like you're saying, it's just it's all right there too. The one thing that I really admire about chess is that there's no, it's not a game of chance like a lot of other games are. It's Everyone can see the whole board at once. Everyone can see what you're trying to build. And then you literally only lose if you make a calculation mistake, if you don't foresee something. So you have to just find the best move with the position you're in at every single time. That is literally life. Kind of like the problems that chess.com will just throw at you. Okay, this is the problem. We're right here. This is where we're at. Immovable. But you do have a winning move. You do have a best move, like, you have various moves, but you have one superior move. Find it. And I love that, dude. And it's it, and you only fail because you didn't do the right thing. So 
And, you know, it's interesting, too, because I have a lot of friends that are huge into poker. And uh, the reason yeah. they like poker so much is because it's similar to chess in a way where, like, there's a lot of, like, best moves. You know, like, you can, you can get really good at, at poker, yeah. you know, similar to chess. But the other side of poker is that you, you leave things up to chance. Um, you know, there's, there's a small percentage of chance, right? Like, even if you play everything the best, like, you can still lose. And uh, I know a lot of my friends like, or they make the argument around poker because they think that's the perspective to just share in life too. Like you can do everything right, but sometimes like things just aren't going to go in your favor. However, I, I'll take the contrarian perspective because I think like extreme ownership, Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, right? They talk about this, right? Where it's like the more things you take control of, like the better leader you become, the better your life gets and the better results you, you get out of it. You know, I think like, yeah, even if there's something that seems on the, on the surface as if like, it wasn't my fault. It was going to happen anyway. I made all the best moves. There's always like if you dig deep enough, there's always another you know something you could have done better um, mm-hmm. that prevented it. You know um, anything? You know things that could seem totally out of your control. I guarantee there's probably something you could have done that you mm-hmm. probably you know didn't think of, which is fair. But you could have thought of it, and it probably could have prevented whatever happened from happening. Um, and so you know I take that contrary perspective, and that's why I really lean so heavy into chess because like chess is the same way. Like sometimes it just feels like maybe like whatever just happened like oh man this guy's like much better than me he should have beat me anyway there's always a way out bro there's always a way out and i think that's an important thing to consider yeah i mean i love that perspective like taking ownership right and that's what i think chess is like you everyone knows like chess yeah if you lose it's because it's because you messed up somewhere and uh, you know you have to take ownership you're forced to take extreme ownership and uh, i love that idea man yeah it's really solid and also I like uh, the whole thing. This is more of like a recent development, I guess, but knowing your theory, just knowing the opens, just know that also translates to life. My brother is in the medicine field. Mm. He says there's 16 personality types, basically. Yep. So if you just learn those 16 personality types, you can, and it's kind of like chess theory, learn your openings. You can really get far in a lot of the engagements you'll have with, with people. And then on top of that, yeah, you got to learn your strategy and then build. Because a lot of people might not know this, but every single chess game is unique. There's never been a chess game that's been repeated. But the openings, first, what, five, ten moves, you can somewhat memorize those and just really prepare yourself. But, yeah, you know what? I'm curious what you, uh, what opening or openings are your favorite. I'm a Vienna guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big Italian game guy as white. Um, and as black, I mean... If, if it's an E4, I'm hitting them with Sicilian real quick. I love Sicilian. Um, but if it's a D4, I love the Dutch. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people really lean into like London system. I love playing London against my Dutch. Um, you know, I played it a lot. And so, yeah, Dutch, Dutch Stalingrad is like the exact variation I play all the time. But um, yeah, I mean, I just like the off-center openings as black. Mm-hmm. And I think it really just, you know, especially like, I'm not that great. I just I just hit 1600 the other day, but I'll go back down to 1500 very soon. I'm sure. Like, yeah, okay. I think I just got a couple, couple, a little bit of a hot streak right there. But, um, you know, I'm good enough where I'm playing guys and definitely know what they're doing. But I'm not good enough where like these guys are, like, you know, after move nine, they're really confused with my like off beat mm-hmm. openings. You know, they're used to people. They'll go D4. Someone, you know, hits them with D5. You know, and like they're used to that. And like that's not me, right? I'm gonna hit them immediately with F5 and uh, that's, it just throws people off. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I really like catching people like that. Dude. Yeah. No, we played each other in chess.com and I, I kind of sort of remember you just not responding like I expected you to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I think that's really why I'm, I'm so good at chess is because, well, I mean, I guess there's a lot of reasons, but that's part of it. Right. Is that like all the openings I've studied are very offbeat, not normal 
um, you know, definitely catching you off guard kind of stuff. But yeah, it's funny enough as white, I literally, I play the Italian game every single time. Um, I'm starting to play the Rui Lopez because I see Magnus plays it all the time and it's similar yeah. to the Italian game. So um, I'm starting to play that a little bit more, but yeah, I still, I stick with the Italian game a lot. Oh yeah, man. The Rui Lopez represent. I think that's a fun one. I'm trying to learn the fried liver and then the bong cloud just for fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great, dude. I had a conversation. I had an interview actually on the podcast with CUN. He mm. shall not be named. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, dude, he, he, he beat me on my podcast and my <laughs> ELO dropped like 300 points. No. <laughs> dude, he yeah. went sneaky good for some reason. Like, I'm a lot better than him. But there'd be some moves that he makes. And I'm like, damn, that was actually like that was he found the best move, and that was just yeah. not an easy move. I think if he played a lot more, his rating would probably be a lot higher. You know, I, I'd probably put him somewhere in like the 1100 range. But um, but that, and that's great, man. He's you know he's bro. See, when such a natural at so many things, you know, yeah. shout out him, bro, absolute cat. But um, yeah, no, he he always impressed me with chess. You know who's not good is Will Coomer, bro. I played Coomer <laughs> all the time. Also, one of my best friends, one of my brothers. Um, but Coomer, man, he's so terrible. Like he'll, yeah, I, I think I made it in like four moves or five moves or something the last time I played him. Um, and he has, just hasn't played me since. Terrible, terrible at chess. He <laughs> just avoided it. <laughs> yeah, bro, just has not. I mean, to be fair, he definitely has not studied chess at all. But yeah, um, but yeah, no, he's he's bad. Cun's nice. That must have been fun. Then you guys are all managing. Were you guys all playing chess? Yeah, we were playing chess a good bit. That's good stuff, man. Happy, bro. Chess and cigars, you know, local. Well, tremendous. We'll have to do that soon. I'm, dude, I've been, tr- I, I'll, I'll tell you offline basically my, my plans, but I, I'm going to be in Europe this summer. And if you are going to be too, we should play some chess. I'm going to bring my board. And, yeah, we'll do it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, man. That's funny. So, I have a similar board too, a little tiny magnetic board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Dude, so if our listeners connected with you and they, they feel a need for your services, your sales coaching, how can they connect with you? Yeah, DM me on Instagram. Just my first and last name, Ethan Nebedomsky. DM for sure. Easiest way to contact me. Awesome, man. Well, Ethan, I really appreciated this call. It's very informative. I got a lot of value from it. I know our listeners did too, and uh, hope to see you in the real world. Appreciate you, boss. Yeah, man. Take it easy. Peace. Peace.